Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, What's My Job? And it's brought to you on Pastor Appreciation Sunday. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Hear about that. Okay, let me uh, I'll get into the message today, because today, this is awkward for me to say, but it's Pastor Appreciation Day. <laughs> so, I'm really going to appreciate myself right now. <clears throat> no, seriously, um, I'm really grateful that uh, our, our trustee board and trustee team decided uh, or, or taken upon themselves to make sure this happens. So thank you so much for all of you who contributed to that. Uh, Steve and Allie, this is like their first day on the job, so they may not get quite as much appreciation. If not because, so if you're a visitor, I don't want you to think, well, they must have messed up. They, they didn't get appreciated like everyone. Well, they just got here, okay? So next year, it'll be all about them. Um, <laughs> Craig Groeschel made a statement a while back that stood out to me. He said, if you don't know the purpose of something, all you can do is misuse it. Now, that's why it's important to know what a pastor's job is. By the way, the the, the quote doesn't say abuse, it's misuse. I don't feel abused very often, but uh, what I do feel is that many people... Um, who are, would say I'm a member of Bethany Community Church uh, don't properly take advantage of what pastoral leadership and pastoral uh, and shepherding really offer from a biblical perspective. Because we only know what the culture teaches us, which is not all bad, by the way. I'm not against the culture. The, the culture teaches us that a, a pastor is supposed to be a good chaplain. You know, do the weddings, funerals, uh, visit hospitals, uh, a good chaplain. I accept that as part of my role. That's fine. But those, it's not really the biblical role. Another, another job description that you would see pastors today in today's church, especially the mega church, is the, the pastor's the CEO of the corporation. That's okay, too, because that is an aspect of pastoring that is a business. And there's a lot of business-like things to manage in the modern church that probably didn't happen in the early church. They didn't have buildings. And they didn't have all technology to manage. But there's a biblical definition that doesn't change. And, and that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to, I've never done this before, anything like this in 40 years of preaching. I've never got up and said, here's my, here's, here's my job. That's what I want to do right now the best I can. And the best I can do in... Uh, Less than 30 minutes. I'm supposed to. I won't do it, but I'm supposed to. Uh, By the way, I can't control whether or not you desire to hold your pastors at arm's length or not, nor do I want to control that. Every good pastor just wants his best for his people and her people. They just want the best. That's all. It's never about us. It's always about God and you. So let's go to Acts 20, and I want to narrow the focus where Paul describes his pastoral relationship with the Ephesians. Uh, Before I go there, though, I want to look at a scripture in Titus 3, because I think it says something very important 
and that we would need to say today that biblically there's no precedence for God's people congregating together, Christ's people congregating together without the covering and oversight of pastoral leadership. There's no, there's no, I know that sounds very romantic. We're going to all get together and there's not going to be any pastor. We're just going to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That just sounds very romantic, right? But it's not biblical. And usually if it's not biblical, it doesn't work very well. And so, yes, I know, we, we all know examples of pastoral pastors who either didn't do their job or they overdid their job controlling cult-like followings and all the bad stuff that has happened when leadership is bad. But, you know, people can be bad, period, no matter what they do. So you have corrupt bankers, you have corrupt politicians, you have corrupt church members, you have corrupt board members, you just got corrupt pastors. So we are in the sinful, fallen nature situation today. So uh, anyway, this is what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible basically says to be in order, there must be pastoral eldership by this verse. The reason I left you in Crete was so that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So, so in other words, he's saying, uh, you're out of order if you don't have a pastor or pastors. If you don't have shepherds, you're out of order because that's what God intended. So keep in mind that the word elders, overseers, shepherds are all the same word. It's all the word pastor. So in this very emotional meeting that we're going to read about right now, Paul is um, meeting with the elders from Ephesus. And he has had this premonition that he's going to be arrested and he's not going to see them anymore. And I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read a part of it. I'm going to start in verse 17. From Miletus, Paul went to Ephesus for the elders of the church when they arrived. He said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my opponents. I think, I think if a pastor, if we do our jobs correctly, we're going to have to do them with tears. I think that's part of it. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you, but taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in their Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have seen, I've gone about preaching will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. So be on your guard. So, I'm going to give you three things that I believe are at the core of the pastor's job description. Number one, to serve the Lord sacrificially before you. While the pastor is supposed to serve you, really, he serves the Lord. 
his first uh, or, or his or her first responsibility is to get their direction from the Lord. Notice Paul said, I've come here to do the task the Lord has given me to do. So that's the first responsibility that every pastor, we need to wake up every morning saying, what does God want me to do today? For a lot of things are pulling at us. There's marriages that are in distress. There are people that are sick and in the hospital and need the touch of God on their physical bodies. There are, uh, uh, in the 20, here in the 21st century, uh, there, are, there are facilities and buildings to manage. There are issues related to buildings and facilities that we have to make decisions. There's, there's, there's um, finances that have to be administrated and decisions have to be made in those areas. But the key is, what has God told me to do? Now, that, that doesn't mean it's not my job to minister to you, but it does mean that I have to try to hear from, okay, where does God want me to put my energy? In? Where does he want my energy to be put? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention uh, John MacArthur in a moment uh, for, because of something he said. But uh, someone asked John MacArthur what he does for this week, and he spends 30 hours a week on his sermon. 30 hours of his week is spent on his sermon. John MacArthur feels very much that God has told him the pastor is to be a theologian. That's his number one calling. Now, that differs from pastor to pastor. Paul had to hear what God wanted him to do. So you want your pastor to be a person who can figure out what God is telling them to do because no matter if he has 20 people in his church or 200 or 2,000, all 15 or 20 or 200 or 2,000 will often feel they know what he, should, he or she should be doing with their day. That, that's why it's imperative that the man or woman of God find out what God is telling them to do. The Bible says, find out what pleases the Lord. And uh, we, see this, we see this really clarified in the book of Acts, chapter 6, when there came this situation where the church had a feeding program, obviously. We know they had a feeding program because we get into chapter 6 and we find that the Bible says the widows were being neglected in their daily serving of food. And if uh, these uh, pastoral elders would have been like many, they would have said, well, God must want us to stop studying and praying and fasting for, our, for the messages and the teaching we're going to give the church, and he must want us to go run the feeding program. And the people in the church would have been saying, good pastors, they went and ran the feeding program. Aren't they awesome? But no, they didn't do that. Look what they said in uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. The, 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 the word that's used for these people is uh, the word servant, and that's the Greek word diakonos, which is where we get our word deacon. This is where we get our word deacon. I am really praying... Uh, uh, these days, and, and, and I'm not sure just how this is going to develop, but I'm really praying about having a ministry of deacons Amen. here at Bethany Community Church. We have an old-timer back there that still knows what a deacon is. <laughs> I don't know if we, you may, we may not use the word deacon, but it was, a, it was a solution so that everybody would be well served. See, if you come to this church, you're supposed to be served. 
You're supposed to be well served by this church. This body is supposed to serve you. This body is supposed to care for you. The, the reason there's no precedent for, for people gathering without being under pastoral leadership is because God wants his people well taken care of. God wants his people loved. He wants them to be rebuked when they need to be rebuked. He wants them to be uh, counseled when they need to be counseled. He wants them to be comforted when they need to be comforted. God really cares about you, so he put you in a family, in a spiritual family. The Bible says in the Old Testament, God puts the lonely in families. The church is his spiritual family. And so God has put you in a family, and how many of you know families need parents? What if you just took a bunch of toddlers and threw them in a house and said, be a family? How would that work? That would be pretty disastrous, wouldn't it? Even if they, even if they, if they, even if they had n nutrition to survive nutritionally, they would kill each other from all the fighting they would do. I just saw it in the nursery. I don't want to tell anybody in person, but I just saw, I just saw an assault. They were playing, but uh, I could see where they needed supervision. God did a great job here. And you know, we, we, we who are shepherds, we can't be selfish. It can't be about us. And Sherry and I have always tried to live this out. And I thought of the, a story the other day. You know, sometimes something happens spontaneously. And then afterward, you look back and go, you, you, you know, I've had both ways. I've looked back and go, man, my heart was really wrong. <laughs> I was really selfish. I was really all about me. I, I feel really bad that I did that. But, you know, since, since Paul is taking the liberty to hear in this text to say, here's where, I'm, here's where I did a good job, guys. I don't know what you think about me, but I thought I was pretty awesome. That's kind of what Paul does here. I, I, I just want you to, and you know, you, you, all you parents understand that. Every parent understands. Sometimes you have to tell your kids how great you are. But seriously, you've you got to say, I mean, you mothers, they don't know how painful it was to get them here. <laughs> they have no idea. They, they have no idea how much, how much you cost them. They have no idea how much trouble they are. <laughs> they really don't. They really don't, until they have the kids of their own, and then you see them start to humble themselves. <laughs> when they have children of their own, they start to humble themselves. If you notice that, they start to get more humble. About, they start coming around more often and saying nice things to you. After, So sometimes pastors have to do that. You know, we got to tell a story once in a while that says, you know, I'm a really good guy. <laughs> so if, several years ago, I won't go into the details of how it happened, but a, um, a, there was this church building over in Franklin that Sherry kept driving by. And Sherry's got an overactive brain. You know? You know, all, all the time. You know, I'm like, take, let's just take it slow. <laughs> and, and so she's always feeling opportunities. Opportunities everywhere. And so she kept driving by this church and feeling an opportunity because it's empty. She knew a church shouldn't be empty. And one day she went in and stepped on a nail and had to go to the hospital. I don't know what that means, but I, I, 
I know, well, I, I, I can't tell that part of the story. I mean, come on. Uh, any, anyway, <laughs> uh, Sherry got to know the people that owned the building. The building had, the, the building had been closed. Is Sherry, you out there? How many years was that, that place closed down? 30 years. It had been shut down for 30 years, and they had built a beautiful building. I mean, those of you who are builders, you know, you know normally your trusses are on uh, 16 inches. Your trusses are on six, every 16 inches. The trusses in that building were every 12 inches. They had built a fortress, and it had exposed wood beams inside. It was beautiful, except there was a hole in the, the one part of the roof where there had been a fire. And long story short, Sherry and I bought, they, they, would, they, they wanted to sell us the building, not you, the church. They didn't want you to buy it. They wanted us to buy it. So we bought the property in the building for $25,000. And uh, here's the part that our, our hearts got revealed to us, and we needed that. Because sometimes you need to know if your heart's pure. Pastors are supposed to have pure hearts. And we care about you. You know, we, we, had, we put a little money into it, sold it to another church. I used to go up there and pray, oh, God, what are you into this building? I couldn't, I couldn't get anything from God, what we're supposed to do with this building. I should have made Sherry go pray. She would have gotten something in the other part. But, uh, she was praying, too, though, and I think we just couldn't, you know. But, but we found a wonderful church that wanted it, and I think we sold it for 275 or something like that. And, you know, we didn't even think about keeping the money. It never even occurred to us that we could have legally kept the money. It was our building, it was our property within our name, but we just brought all the money to the church. Because that's what you do when you're a shepherd. That's what you do when you care about people. And it's not all about you, and you're not trying to look for somebody to get an advantage. You go work for people for nothing. I, I, I would do this for nothing. I have done it for nothing. This, is, this, is, this, is, this burns inside of me. I, I love people. I love teaching you people. And I love being a part of your life, man. That's what a pastor is. According to Scripture, pastors are supposed to complete the task that God gave them. It's always with you in mind, though. It's always for you. God's given me the task of raising children. Sherry and I, the task of raising children. But we do that God has us do that in front of you for you, so you can benefit, so you can, you can get an example of Christian parenting, for you, you can get an example of children who love God, and you can get a vision that you can raise children who love God. That's the point. God gives you a pastor to live his or her life before you and sacrificially in serving God so you can get some clues how you can live and serve God. Amen? The Bible says this. If you think I'm not being unbiblical, it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday Today and for notice the connection between their relationship with Jesus Christ and their relationship with spiritual leadership. It's connected. He didn't say just go off and have your private relationship with Jesus, which you do, by the way. You you should have a private relationship with Jesus that your pastors have no say so in. Absolutely. But ultimately, he says 
pastoral leadership is a part of your relationship with Jesus. I want to paraphrase and embellish something Tim Keller said. I propose to you that there is no place in culture where anyone is systematically teaching sexual purity, marital fidelity, humility, respect, tolerance, love for people who are very different, and forgiveness except the church. When the Amish children were shot to death and the Amish came around and forgave the shooter's family and the parents of the shooter, everybody said, that's incredible. That's how we ought to be. Those Amish people weren't born like that. They went to a church that taught them like that. That's why the church is so unique and so incredible because it's the only place where righteousness is systematically taught in our culture today especially. Um, I just jumped across and failed to mention my second point. I'm so sorry. I meant to say the second, uh, the second uh, part of a pastor's job description is to teach and preach the truth to you. John MacArthur was asked by a lady one time, uh, how much authority should the pastor have over us? And this was in a meeting. I saw, I saw it on video. So a woman stands up and asks him, how much authority should the pastor have over us? And he said, none. And, and if you know who John MacArthur is, he's really strong, really strong personality. So you, I, I was shocked that he said that. He said, we, sh- we should have no authority over you. The only authority we have is the word of God. All the authority is the word of God. So the, the pastor has no authority. He or she has no authority unless they are speaking the word of God. And we're, our only responsibility is to try to assist you in coming under the authority of the word of God. And we're not to care about what the culture says. We're not to care about what the Supreme Court has decided we're not, to, we're not to care about what one political party or another political party says. We're not to care about what the arts and entertainment industry says. We're not to care about what academia says. We're only to care about what thus saith the Lord. That's all that matters when you're a pastor. Amen? <clears throat> Finally, shepherds are here, to, or pastors are here to shepherd and oversee you. Shepherd and oversee you. I'm going to right now because I want you to notice that the word shepherd is plural, shepherds. Always when you see the word pastor or shepherd in the Bible or elders, it's always plural. So I want to invite the shepherds to come to the stage right now and take their seat. And Pastor Jay, Pastor Steve, Sherry, Pastor Brandy, and Pastor Shane are all coming. By the way, we need to mention something today. Pastor Brandy's coming. She's been in. She, she, why don't you wear the bee, bee suit? What's going on? You, she wore the bee suit in the first service. Children's church doesn't have been second service. I know. I'm being silly. We want to acknowledge Brandy because Brandy just graduated from Liberty University. with a master's degree 
a Master of Arts degree in Human Services, Counseling, Marriage, and Family. God bless you. There's an envelope here for you, too, somewhere. Brandy's fantastic. So, don't come to me for marriage counseling anymore. She's got a master's degree in it. Shepherd and oversee you. The Bible, Paul, Paul says here, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage woods, wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you night and day. So the part of the text that makes it clear that pastoral care includes a concern about your physical, spiritual, and relational location. And the part that illustrates that is just the word shepherds. That's what shepherds are. Shepherds are always concerned about the location, physically, where are the sheep, who's, mess, who's, talk, who's, who's, who's dealing with the sheep, because they know that there are wolves that will devour the sheep. They know there are relationships that will hurt the sheep, will pull the sheep away from the flock, and when they get pulled away from the flock, they get devoured, and they don't survive. And also the, the, the spiritual. Where's the spiritual location? That has to do with your spiritual health. God has put shepherds over your life to, to give input, guidance into those three areas. Where are you physically? Don't be offended if a shepherd wants to know where you were last Sunday when you weren't in church. Give praise to God that you have a shepherd. Give praise to God that you have someone who cares about your physical location because I want you to know God does things in physical locations. The Holy Spirit fell in the upper room and it was the people in the upper room and around the upper room that got in on what God was doing that day and God does things in this building that you need to be in on so we're going to try to get you here. I know you're going you're gonna to mess with them. I understand. We're, we're okay with that. Remember, pastors who demand cult-like allegiance, that's not what we're talking about. In fact, those guys aren't, those gals, they're not, they're not pastors at all, they're wolves. A shepherd will never psychologically manipulate you or punish you for any, even for any real or perceived disloyalty. They just hurt and weep over it. That's all, they, that's all we get to do. Remember, for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. It should become a joy in your life that you want pastors and delegated leaders to be aware of where you're at. Where you're at spiritually, where you're at physically, and where you're at relationally. Notice the motivation for it. It begins with realizing who bought the church and what it cost him. It says, it is, it, it says the church of God, which he bought with his own blood, the church of God, which you bought, the motivation for all of us to care for you is that you have been purchased with the blood of Jesus. You are very valuable. You are very expensive. It costs God the very best thing that he have, had uh, to, to purchase your life. 
And God has privileged us with the opportunity to be shepherds over his flock that he purchased with his own blood. You don't belong to us. I said, you don't belong to us. You belong to Jesus. He purchased you with his own blood. That's why we have to be very careful about being shepherds. And we have to be very diligent to be shepherds. In fact, the Bible says very clearly in the book of Hebrews that we will give an account to God for the condition of your souls. That is a sober sobering thought and a somber responsibility that we will give an account for your souls. I would I would plead with you today. Like I said in the beginning, there may be those of you who want want us at arm's length and you prefer to be at arm's length from shepherds. It's not our business to control that. It's not our business to try to force shepherding on people who do not want it. I know it's a process. It's a decision, it's a decision, pro, decision process. I talked I talk to, talk to a man after the first service who got invited here by somebody, and he's been coming for a few weeks, and he's like, I just can't believe this is a church. I've just never seen a church like this. No symbols. I mean, what 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 is this? He, he's not ready. He's not ready for me to start being his shepherd. You know, and 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 shepherding is is a specific commitment, right? I, I do not I do not go to the Natick Collection and walk over to people and start shepherding them. I don't go to the Natick Collection and walk over and start pastoring somebody. I see somebody. I hey. Let's talk about your, your, your let's talk about your relationships. Let's talk about your your morality. Let, let's talk about your habits. Let's talk about what what's going on in your life. Let's talk about the conversations you're having. With, come and tell me about the conversations you you having. Are you doing some backbiting? Are you talking behind my people's back? Not my back, but you're talking behind people's back. You, you know, I I I'm a shepherd. Did you know that? <laughs> that would be nuts. No, our shepherding is to be. We're to shepherd those who've agreed to be purchased by the blood of Jesus. And you need to understand that's the agreement you enter into. When you agree to be purchased by the blood of Jesus, you agree to be shepherded. You agree to come into relationship with the body of Christ, and you come into relationship with those that God has called to be pastors. That's what you, do, that's what you signed up for. You signed up for us to care for you and to love you and to be concerned about you and sometimes we'll even stick our nose in your business. Yeah, that'll happen sometimes. But it's not about us. In fact, we're just placeholders. You know that? It's not about us. We're just placeholders. We will all be replaced by somebody else who will do this someday. That's one reason that I feel an urgency about what I'm doing right now. I turned 65 the other day. Don't applaud that. <laughs> and I realize, you know, and, and I, I, don't, I don't say this in a morbid way. I don't feel morbid about it at all. I'm very grateful that God's let me do this long enough that I've learned some things. I'm grateful that I've done this long enough that I, I kind of know what I'm doing. 
in certain areas now. And I know, I realize the opportunity that lies before us right now at Bethany Community Church. And I also know that I have this time frame. I don't know what it is exactly, but, but I know it, it has, I know that I see the limitation. I see the limitation of my life. And I want this last part of my life to count like never before. I want it to have the richest meaning and I want it to be the most effective that it's ever been. But it's not all up to me. It's also up to you. If you will agree to begin to go to a greater level of unity, if you will agree to become a shepherding culture, not an unhealthy shepherding culture, but a healthy shepherding culture where we care one another, because I believe what God wants is for the idea of these shepherds, that the idea of the role that they play to filter down to all of you, and you become under-shepherds. You become under-shepherds because you, call, you begin to care for another. Because I tell you what a church is supposed to be. If you notice, I'm not going to read the last verse to, in order to save time, but Paul says that the church is here to help the weak. That's what he said. You can read it for yourself. He said, we're here. The shepherding um, accomplishment is the, the final accomplishment is we help the weak. So here's what God wants to do. God wants to bring those of you that have all these strengths. Some of you have strong personalities. You're strong in managing your finances. You're strong in your marriage. Some of you are really strong in your marriage. You have great marriages. Some of you are strong in your parenting. Some of you are strong in biblical doctrine. Well, God wants to bring those strengths alongside those who are weak. God wants to bring the people with strong marriages alongside the people that have weak marriages and they begin to disciple one another. The, 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 the strong disciples, the weak. God wants to bring those people who have their act together, they manage their finances in a way that glorifies God and they pay their bills on time and they, and they come and they, they, they mentor the people that are weak in that. God wants to take the people with strong personalities and mentor those with weak personalities. God wants to take the people that are strong in the word of God and mentor the people who are weak in the word of God. I want this to become a shepherding culture where we do it, but it filters down because all over this room, all of, many of you are already functioning as, you're already functioning as under shepherds. We, can't, we, don't have a, we don't have enough time, Mike, and, and space and money to, do, to take care of everybody who's serving as an under-shepherd in this building and in this place. But I am so grateful for you, and I am praying that your numbers will increase. And that's our job. Our job is to equip you. The Bible says that God has given you pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets, to equip the saints for ministry. Our goal for the next decade is to turn you loose to do the work of the ministry. And to care for one another. So this, 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 this building will be the most cared for group of people on the planet. And that's what, we go, that's what we're believing for. And that's what God, I believe with all my heart, God has told me that's what he's going to do. Would you say amen? I'm going to turn this over to uh, Mike Seaver and the trustee board right now. To, uh, to uh, do, what you're, do your thing. See our pastoral team right here. Uh, I'm honored to represent the trustee team. 
Susan Pfeffer, Patrick Burke, Michael Sutton, and myself here today. I'm also honored to represent each of you up here today as we, as we recognize, honor, and pray for our pastors. So, uh, you know, this has been a challenging year in so many people's lives and just in, in general in our world, in our country. This has been a very, very challenging year. And I really stand amazed at what a incredible job this group of talented, hardworking, creative, unique individuals have done to create and move our church forward over the course of the year. And I look back and, and think, you know, Brandy, Pastor Brandy, through not having church available to her, somehow did a great job connecting with all of your kids out there uh, each week, having programs for them, and really ministering to their needs with a group of people that like to get together and touch each other. And, this, and she was able to do that in spite of what was going on this year. Uh, Compassion New England and Pastor Sherry and, and the areas that she's working in, despite having our store closed for several months, it's been amazing this year what Compassion New England has been able to do to reach forward and make a difference in people's lives in this church, but also within our community in general, and really, really put the gospel to work in people's lives that really needed it. And just amazing what we've been able to do there. Uh, Pastor Jason, uh, Pastor Shane, from an executive pastor perspective, from an administrative pastor perspective, and you know, you don't always see these things all the time, but so critical to developing some of the programs that we have had, uh, like Next Steps, like some of the youth programs that we have here and being able to stay in contact with the youth throughout the course of the year and maintain that connection. It's just been phenomenal to see. And some of the programs we're offering even right now, uh, the way our service runs, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I was incredibly impressed with the quality of our online services back when we were close. Those were better than you get out of Hollywood. The quality was better. It was real, it was emotional, and it's really f because of these guys here and the rest of the team that was doing all that work behind the scenes to create that, and I really commend them for that. And as I said earlier, you know, I've been, I've been here for many years, over 30 years, and in a difficult time, Pastor Phil, his preaching is better than it's ever been. And it's always been great. So, and so I really want to commend all of them for that. We're very, very, very fortunate to have a pastoral team like that. And really what I want to do right now is I want to pray for this team with the, with the help of everybody out here. So you can either stand, you can stay seating, or if you can raise your hands, uh, I'd appreciate it. I want to pray for several different things for our pastors here today uh, as we get ready to close this service. So first, number one, I want to pray for our pastor's daily hot relationship with Jesus, their daily connection with Jesus. I'm going to take this off so my glasses don't fog. So Lord, this is the single most decisive factor in our pastor's lives and ministries. In the same way that the epicenter of Jesus' ministry was his daily time with the Father. So Lord, 
as uh, we encourage and pray for our pastors in this area, let the word be more to them than just crafting the next sermon. Let it be something that's about the heart and not just the head. Let it be something that's transformational in their own personal lives and not just informational. Uh, let it be about being with the Lord and not just being in a book. You know, when you have a busy church like we do, when you're actively engaged in the community, it's easy to become more like Martha and be so busy serving Jesus that you miss Jesus. We pray that like Mary, our pastors will anchor their lives to sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he has to say. Second point, let's pray for divine discernment. We pray for the gospel to soak into our pastors' hearts, to help them separate the urgent from the important, to sort through the many voices and determine what God's voice is saying. As a church, we rely on our pastors' abilities to do this, even when we don't like what God's voice is telling them. At Capernaum, Jesus had been healing and casting out demons all day. The next morning, his disciples told him there were many more needy people seeking his touch. But Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. In the same way Jesus knew his must-dos, give our pastors the same discernment, and as a church body, let us trust in this discernment. Number three, we pray for spiritual protection from enemy attack. Peter wrote in 1 Peter, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Of course, the enemy understands that if you bring down the shepherd, then it's open season on the sheep. So Jesus also said on the cross to his lead, he said uh, about his leaders, he said, protect them by the power of your name. Protect them from the evil one. We can't discount the attacks of the evil one. So, Lord, as a body, we commit to being prayer warriors for our pastors, to protect them against attacks by the enemy, to protect them from the things we all suffer from, pride, arrogance, discouragement, fear, self-reliance, or any other way the enemy might choose to attack any one of these pastoral leaders individually. Number four, we pray for our pastors' families and their relationships. Lord, we pray a wall of protection around our pastors' families, spouses, children. We pray that our pastors will not only be the spiritual leaders of our church, but the spiritual leaders they are called to be of their families and homes. We pray for good friend relationships for our pastors, people that they can trust, that they can rely upon in their times of need as well. We pray for the, number five, we pray for the physical, financial health needs of our pastors. As much as we focus on our own physical needs, our own financial needs, our own health needs, let us lift up our pastors to the same degree in this area and keep them in our prayers over these areas. Number six, we pray for fresh manna to feed us. Lord, we've been so blessed with God's inspired preaching over the years. We pray for continued blessing in this area and that each time our pastors teaches us, pastor teaches us or any of our pastors teach us, they will have something that has come from God's heart through their hearts and straight to our hearts.
God's word is alive and active, and we look forward to this fresh manner on a regular basis. Number seven, we pray for the life-changing combination of courage and compassion. Lord, so many of today, so many people today are more influenced by the culture than by their Christianity. We pray for courage for our pastors to stand firmly on God's word at a time when it's getting more and more lonely to do so. We also pray that this courage will be blended with the compassionate heart of Jesus that feels the needs behind the words and the deeds. And finally, number eight, we pray for the unity of our church in a world that feeds on disunity. Lord, we are a body of unique individuals with diverse backgrounds, training, skills, and beliefs. Lord, we pray against any spirit of dissension in our church, and we pray for the thing that does unite us all, and that's the message of the gospel. So Lord, we're just so thankful for this group of pastors. We lift them up to you right now. We pray your blessing on them and their lives and their families' lives, and we so appreciate them. And we say all of this in your, in your name. Amen.